Listener supported. WNYC Studios. WQXR. In conversation. Soprano Lauren Michelle has performed opera and oratorio seemingly everywhere from California to Carnegie Hall, Israel's Tel Aviv to Italy's Teatro della Pergola. She won BBC Cardiff Singer of the World in 2015. She was a finalist of the George London Foundation vocal competition. She was a prize winner of the international singing contest Francisco Viñas in Spain and a grand recipient for the Opera Buffs Incorporated. And if you look on her resume, you'll see under special skills, stage combat. But then came the George Floyd murder and the subsequent protests, and she decided it was time to speak up. She shared her experience as a black soprano working in America and working in Europe. She shared that story on Facebook, and we reached out after the team read it. So we talked to her, not just about racism, but the cost of speaking up. In her words, racism and oppression are deeply rooted in the American opera world. If we are not capable of acknowledging this, how will we ever attain change? So we talked about that, and we talked about her experiences in Europe, and also how a teenager from Southern California gets into singing opera in the first place. And you'll find out which character in that grand gallery of opera characters means the most to her. I'm James Bennett, and this is WQXR In Conversation with Soprano. Lauren Michelle. You know, this post that you made where you shared, uh, you know, your experience in public during your time singing in, in Vienna. Uh, I read that. I'm sure a lot of other people did. And what I wanted to know is what, prompted you what was going through your your head to make you think okay this is the moment where i'm going to share my lived experience on social media yes i think that at the time that i wrote the post i was feeling overwhelmed with sadness um anger heartbreak with everything that was happening. Um, the reason why I put the post up in the first place was there is a silence that's happening in the industry that I don't appreciate. And at some point, I think each of us have to look in the mirror and see where we have personally contributed to systemic racism. And I didn't like the fact that I personally have experienced so much racism in my field, and I really have never spoken up about it. So that post was really the first time that I was holding myself accountable, right? No, for sure. I mean, this is a conversation that I think a lot of arts organizations, including our own, you know, we're doing this, you know, for QXR. And this is a this is a really hard conversation that's just kind of been, you know, ongoing for for months and it's especially intensified. Right. Like in the last, you know, four to five weeks. 
Right. And this is actually something that I've been dealing with my entire life. And I've had the opportunity now that things have been closed and shut down. I've had the opportunity along with the rest of the planet uh, for a massive healing. It's strange. We have, we have so much death around us, but we also have so much um, healing that is happening. And sort of there's an unveiling of things that need to be healed. And so as I was looking at all of that, and as I was seeing it in my own life, I actually have been um, working really hard my entire life for justice. And when I was in high school, I actually started the Black Student Awareness Club in um, Calabasas, which is a very, very white neighborhood, (laughs) extremely white neighborhood. And as one of the only black students, it hit me. It was profound even as a junior in junior high. Um, so that when I went to high school, I thought, okay, let's start a black student awareness club um, so that we could start the discussion um, that I saw was needed so desperately. And I think that in the process of training as an opera singer, I learned to silence myself. I learned that this was part of the culture of classical music, right? We're taught that we need to really just follow, follow directions, you know, do what you're told and do what your teacher tells you to do. And all of this, I believe in my um, formative years, seeing as I went to performing arts high school, I left that school that I, that I created that program in. And I, I went to performing arts high school when I was 15. And I believe that during that time, I learned how to silence myself in order to be a part of a system that was inherently racist. (laughs) So uh, in order to thrive in that, I learned to be quiet. And because of the background, you know, because of my family and because of how I was raised, there's only so much that I can stay quiet about. But I think that in June, at the top of June, there was so much that I wanted to say. And I realized that I had been so quiet for so long. And so it was important for me to say that I am a strong, talented Black woman, because I am. And even though my industry in the United States specifically has made me believe that I'm not. (laughs) I mean, really. What I'm trying to say is that that post was very hard for me to, um, it was easy for me to write, but it was hard for me to post because I knew that I was going against everything that I had learned in school. I was going against speaking out against what I believe to be true. And I, I just had to do that. And there's still many posts that there's posts after that. And there's posts that I have to come, (laughs) which are speaking, you know, directly to my experiences that I unfortunately have had as a black American opera singer. 
Yeah, I mean, that just makes me think. I mean, um, you're accomplished by many by many metrics. You know, UCLA and Juilliard and, you know, BBC Cardiff Singer of the Year. You've got your Notes de Figaro and your Gianni Sikis and your Lab of of the World in. And I just feel that there's this pervasive way of thinking. There's this perception that if you have artistic success, then these social ills aren't affecting you personally, right? It's kind of like the, it's not the best comparison, but it's like the LeBron James, like, shut up and dribble. It's like, oh, you want to speak out against, like, social injustice, but you have, like, you know, a family and, like, a big house and, like, you know, all this cool stuff. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not the case. That's not simply how it goes down. But um, I'm wondering if you anticipated or thought there would be some kind of, like, Ooh, and this is loaded. Um, some kind of career like repercussion by speaking out about that very important thing. Absolutely. I understand fully that speaking about the social, I mean, speaking about systemic racism in opera is not number one on getting yourself a job <laughs> in that system. <laughs> that is definitely. Um, I understand that it's not okay, but how, I guess what I ask myself is how can I not speak out? So what's interesting is that even in me wanting to speak out and even in me talking to you, I'm experiencing the conditioning that I've learned since I was 15. So Oppression is so real and it's so deep rooted. I mean, here I am, someone that communicates for a living. I actually scream (laughs) and communicate with thousands of people at a time (laughs) for a living. And talking about the painful issues that I experienced, the experiences that I've had, the fact that that's so hard to do is actually really telling of how deep-rooted it is and how real it is. This is not something that is some mystical idea that's off in the clouds. This is something that is affecting all singers. It's something that's affecting all musicians. It's affecting all people that are here in the United States. It doesn't matter what their industry is. It's affecting them. And all the way to the wonderful, magical opera world. It's there. Racism is right there. And unfortunately, I am one of the grand receipts of racism in opera in America. Because the fact that I am an international soprano, the fact that I made my debut at Covent Garden before I've ever sung an opera in my hometown of Los Angeles. The fact that I've sung at Vienna State Opera before I've sung at any B, C (laughs) houses in the United States is a direct reflection of the racism that exists. And going back to what you were saying, is it hard to talk about that? Absolutely. My colleagues have said it on interviews that they are scared to talk about racism 
in opera. But <sighs> this is really difficult <laughs> to talk about. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. It's all good. I mean, I think you're kind of getting at maybe like one of the weirdest things about being like a black person, this internal struggle, right? It's like almost like very du, du Bois-ish, but it's like this dual reality that, that we live, right? Where it's like, yeah, you want to be able to speak up. You want to be able to like call out. You want to be able to, to agitate and protest and make things right. But at the same time, like, you know, you got a paycheck to make it, you know, you got rent to make and bills to pay. It's just kind of like how do how that constant act of, uh, of reconciliation, figuring out where you can kind of like dart in to, you know, say your word, make your peace and then get out and, you know, still get paid. I think that I can set aside my fear because I love opera too much. I think that I love opera so much that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to protect her. Opera, I truly believe, is for everyone. And in order for that to be a part of my reality in my lifetime, I have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. For me, opera changed my life when I was a teenager. It literally changed my direction. You know, I was a, a naughty little teen, <laughs> you know, getting into mischief as most teens do. And when I found opera, I was able to dive into all of the minor songs, you know, everything was in minor. And, you know, teenagers are so into just being in a, a dark cave and everything is terrible. And, you know, and so as a teenager, I was able to dive into the dark harmonies and live in this minor world, singing about all these things that I actually hadn't really experienced, but it felt good. It felt on the level that I, what I was feeling was that same level. I mean, opera is really just about love and death and love and death <laughs> and over and over again. So as a teenager, I was just like, oh, this is it. And so in order to reach my personal potential in opera, it's what made me act right. It's what made me got get good grades. Opera, my, the lessons that I received for classical training was, you know, what kept me in line for my grades in school. <laughs> it's the only reason why I studied math, <laughs> why I, I took it seriously. You know, it's because I have to keep my voice lessons. And as a teenager, it really set me on a, a path of learning about my personal power and how... Um, if I put my mind to it, I could do anything, even be an opera singer. And this is, to me, the power that music has. And that power to unleash your greatest potential. If I see that in classical music, and I know that to be a truth for myself, who am I to not fight? For other people to potentially, you know, later on down the road, when I'm long and gone, I want to make sure 
that that vehicle that helped me can help other people. And who am I to sit here and not say anything and just go to my next gig whenever the houses open up? I can't do that. I can't, I would not be able to live with myself if I didn't speak up for the injustice that not only am I feeling and I'm experiencing, but also I know it's just going to keep happening. Let's be real. The opera world kind of slid by during Me Too. And I don't want to see that happen right now. We have a golden opportunity to do something about it. We have a golden opportunity to, one, acknowledge that it's even in exist, right? To acknowledge that it even exists. And we have the opportunity to talk about it. We have an opportunity to figure out what we can do to make the change. Is that answering any of your questions? <laughs> I would argue that it is indeed answering many of my questions. But um, I want to just kind of like pivot real quick to kind of talk about your personal connection, you know, to opera. And I want to just kind of start with um, you telling me what your entree to this delicious and dramatic world uh, was? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) It actually started because of an earthquake. The Northridge quake in California forced us to move out of our house. Frankly, it was going to fall down. And so we had to move. And by moving, even just around the corner, it set me into a new school district. I remember being in the choir. I always wanted to be a singer, always. But in this choir, Mr. Leff was the conductor. And I remember distinctly one day I had done an audition for some solo. I believe it was, I think, a jazz solo or something. But Mr. Leff pulled me aside and (laughs) I thought he had, he said, can I speak with you after class? And I thought, oh gosh, was my solo really that bad? Like my audition was that bad that he wants to talk to me. So I remember meeting him after class and he said to me, you know, your voice is, is a classical voice. Here are some names of some voice teachers. You might want to get some training. And I thought, well, if I'm going to dethrone Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey, who at the time were the people who were reigning supreme in on the radio waves. I thought, if I'm going to dethrone them, I, I need to learn the highest level of singing now, don't I? Because if I could master that, then I'm on to something. <laughs> and so it really took several impressions on um, my first voice teacher to even get her to train me because I was so young. And I was persistent. I mean, I was persistent. <laughs> but eventually I got her to um, listen to me. And when she heard me, she took me on. And in working with her, Rebecca Songberg is her name, I learned about Italian art song. You know, she slowly, bless her heart, she just slowly in our lessons gave me bits and pieces that I then became really hungry for more. And I think that's where I was able to delve in to, you know, the minor and the, you know, everything I, everything that I wanted to pick to sing was all minor. (laughs) Um, The 24 arias, 
were the first, that was the first music that I was exposed to. After I started to sing it and I started to feel the effects, as it were, of classical music in myself, in my spirit, actually physically inside of my body, not just listening to it, but actually physically feeling it. I think that's when I could feel that this was um, a vibrational match. Um, And I no longer was interested in popular music or anything else that I had heard on the radio. At that point, I just became obsessed with this world of classical music. And I remember my first CD was Kathleen Battle, of Kathleen Battle. And the first aria that I became just enamored with was her recording of Achifus from The Magic Flute. And that was some of the most beautiful sounds I had ever heard in my life. And I think at that moment was when I decided that I wanted to do to focus on that as my career. Throughout your career uh, and your journey as a student, really becoming immersed in the the operatic world, in opera's vast gallery of characters, is there any particular uh, character that you personally identify with on like a fundamental level? Or aspirational, I don't know. You know? <laughs> I think that I identify more with the sounds and the harmonies of music and the way that the composer is using these notes <laughs> literally to craft a, a role, a person. I think that I resonate more with the harmonies than I do with the actual character, if that makes sense. So the first role that I just became completely obsessed with was Violetta in La Traviata. It was the first chord of the overture. It was the entire overture. I think that the way <laughs> this is actually, it's just so weird, but I'll, I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> I must have listened to the overture of La Traviata a million times before I even allowed myself to go to the first scene. I found all of these different recordings of just the overture. And I just literally for like a month (laughs) I just listened to the overture and I had just fallen in love with the harmony you know Verdi does such an incredible job of really painting the entire character Violetta is all in the orchestra she, he goes through her almost in her entire story and everything that she feels right there in the orchestra in the overture. And to me, that was remarkable. Verdi painted a picture of Violetta in thin air right in front of me with using nothing but sound. I mean, she was right there in front of me and it was extraordinary to me. And so I just 
listened to so many recordings of the orchestra until I then decided to go to the first scene. And I remember going to NEC Library because I was, I was in a performing arts high school at that point. And on the weekends, I would go into NEC and I would go into their library and I would watch as many videos and DVDs that I could find in their library. I would watch the first two scenes. And then after I watched as many that I could possibly find, then I would go back and then watch the next scene. So I think it might, must have taken me <laughs> months and months and months to get through the entire opera but all of that to say it's not just the character what makes it so wonderful why opera is so wonderful as an art form is that it's not just the word it's not just the story it's not just the character right it's also the music we have that part that transports the characters through time. I think that's the reason why, you know, La Traviata is still here today. You have been working on your first performance in the role of Violetta from La Traviata, and that was going to take place at La Fenice in Venice, Italy, this August. But, you know, COVID got on the way, and it was supposed to be the first time a black soprano was going to perform that role in Venice. But that kind of brings me, you know, to this question of, like, we're still discussing firsts. And from my perspective as a Black American, there seems to be this perception that Europe has kind of figured racism out, which, you know, is not the case given, you know, the Facebook post, you know, we talked about it at the top, we're coming full circle. Um, and so I just wanted to know from you as a, as, a, as a black professional soprano, can you, if you're comfortable, just talk to me about the differences in racial dynamics you've experienced in this world, in America, and then across the Atlantic on the European continent? It's not that racism doesn't exist in Europe because it certainly does. <laughs> we all know the history that exists in Europe. <laughs> it's quite ugly. But the, I think the difference is that European opera is a living, breathing thing that if anyone can put life into it, they're celebrated no matter what they look like. American opera is at this point is being still strangled by systemic racism. In Europe, for example, I took the aria of Kiel Belsonio and I went and did a competition that was in Luca, which is where Puccini's house still remains to this day. It's now a museum. So I did this competition in Luca and I sang Kiel Belsonio, which is one of his beautiful arias. And I got first place in both of these competitions that I did that weekend. I actually had an entire streak where I won like 10 competitions in a row in Europe in like a month period. And going into those competitions, I distinctly remember stopping in New York and singing those exact arias. 
And I remember distinctly singing those arias and I distinctly remember not making it past the finals. I remember not even placing. I didn't even place. And then I went and continued straight from New York. I went to Europe and I straight out won 10 competitions in a row with the exact same repertoire. No coachings in between, no change. I, I just was, I was, I was moving. I was rolling. Okay. <laughs> and I'm bringing this up to show that in Europe, as much as racism does exist, there is a freedom that people who are even running the operas there, they are free to allow opera to live. And when anyone comes in and breathes life into the music, anyone that comes in and is singing it or performing it with something to say, then they celebrate that. And that is pushed forward because at the end of the day, music trumps racism. And I believe that in Europe, it's the one thing that they're al allowing to, to, okay, you know what? Let's not, let's not put racism in this. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's at least do us that, do ourselves that favor to not taint it. And I don't, I, I, I wish I had better words to, to express what I'm trying to say, but I've felt that freedom in Europe and I remember driving out of Luca in tears. I was crying so hard <laughs> because for so long, I almost wondered if there was something wrong with me, like in the way that I was thinking, right? If my ego was just ignoring the fact that maybe I wasn't a singer that should ever make it past the finals, you know? I had wondered for so long, well, gosh, what's wrong with me that I that I haven't been able to make it to Houston Grand Opera? Why haven't I been able to be rehired in companies where they'll hire me in the States, right? They'll hire me in the States to do a role that is specific to being Black, but then won't rehire me. <laughs> so the United States only knows of me when it's convenient for them. They only know of me when they need to fill a role. And I thought, for a while, I actually thought maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not uh, even a good, a good singer. And that part is part of the, that's a piece of the slave mentality, right? Where we're getting conditioned. And that slave mentality actually exists for a lot of artists in general in the United States, not even being specific to you know, race, but actually just part of what I was saying before about classical music conditioning artists to be, you know, subordinate and oppressing artists in the first place. I have to say that these things are very much difficult to talk about because we're not used to talking about these things. And I appreciate, I appreciate you all at WQXR for having these conversations. They're not easy. And I truly believe that 
we have an opportunity right here and right now to bring up these very important wounds um, so that we can heal. I really do believe that there is still opportunity for us to heal from all of this. That makes a lot of sense. That is, that's all that I had. I wanted to ask you um, today, Lauren. Um, thank you so much for like a, a really, I think, solid and, and at times fun, at times heavy conversation. So Lauren, Michelle, thanks for sitting down with me in my computer and uh, having having this conversation. Thank you so much. This episode was produced by me, James Bennett, with Rosa Gollin. We also had help from our awesome intern, Luca Vesic. Our technical producer was Ed Haber, and our executive producer is Lucas Krohn Grimberga. And we want to hear from you, too, about the Black experience in the concert hall. So tell us. Just write to share your experience at wqxr.org. <laughs>